1519, Hernan Cortez went beyond what his country is asking him to do in Spain, and he decided to take a group of people on some ships to Mexico, uh, to Veracruz, Mexico. On the trip, they suffered losses. The sea was treacherous. By the time they finally arrived on the shore, they had lost lots of men, lots of horses, lots of will. They were beaten down, and they felt pretty much abandoned. They all got on the shore. They buried their dead. And before they could go to battle, there was an exchange between the Aztecs that were there and Herdinand. They exchanged pleasantries. They went their separate ways. All the while, Cortez and his men stayed on the shore. After the Aztecs went away, Cortez turned to his men and he said something bold to them. You see, he knew he wasn't there to make peace. He was there to conquer. And he knew that the men had been weary. He knew that they were worn. He knew that they were tired. He knew they had lost a lot. They were far away from home. They had been on a journey for a long time. And now they're confronted in a world that they've never been to against a people they've never seen and in a war they've never fought. Most of the men that were with Cortez had never fought in a war. And so Cortez brought everybody close to himself, at this point 600 men. And he said, burn the ships. Burn the ships. You see, that day he decided that they weren't going to go back. There was nothing in him that allowed him to say there was a place of retreat. You see, for Cortez and those mighty men, they fought that war and they won that war. But it was because at that point, they could hold nothing back. It was either win or die. There was no easy path out. Why in our world would we serve a risen Savior with the ships of our former life sitting on the shoreline? It is the danger of the Christian life. It's the danger of the future of the church for we as Christians to have anything waiting as a fallback plan, a plan B in case this Jesus plan doesn't work out. There has to come a place in the life of every Christian where we burn our boats, where we simply say we're either in this thing to see it through or we're going to die trying. We're going to give it our all. We're going to hold nothing back. In Exodus 36, those of y'all that are there in the Scripture, there's a Bible in front of you. It'll be up on the screen here in just a minute. Um, let's lay some history down again. We've looked through Exodus, and we've seen that at this point, um, the children of God have been ushered out. Uh, they are now, you know, in the wilderness They've been given some instructions on how to live their life in Exodus chapter 20. They're given laws about how to govern their daily life. We see all this, that Moses is instructing the people as God speaks to him. And time and time again, as we lead up to where we're going to be today, God has laid out the, the works of where they should be. And so in 36, something amazing is about to happen. 
You see, all along God has sent his presence amongst the people, but has never dwelt amongst them since one moment in history. Prior to this moment, the only time God has dwelled amongst his people was in the garden. Now he's about to change the story again. He's been amongst them. He's never dwelled with them. And now he's giving them a plan. Build a temple. Now, you got to know, they're all living in tents at this point. They're all out in the desert. They're complaining. They're tired. They want to know when they can finally make it to the promised land. If you look on a map, you realize it shouldn't have taken this long. They just keep wandering in the desert. Have you ever felt like that on a trip with your family? Like a trip that should have lasted five hours has now lasted you eight. And you're wondering, is this ever going to end? The kids are complaining. Your spouse keeps telling you, we're lost. And you're saying, I know we're lost. We'd be there already. Years have gone by. The complaints have amounted and amounted and amounted up. And at this point, you got to know, God is saying to them, I'm going to come dwell amongst you, so just get ready. This is what you're going to do. This is how you're to build it. This is everything you're supposed to do. And in chapter 36, it begins. Let's read it together. Bezalel and Olabab were skilled people are to work based on everything the Lord has commanded. The Lord has given them wisdom and understanding to know how to do all the work of constructing the sanctuary. So Moses summoned these men and every skilled person in whose heart the Lord had placed wisdom. Everyone whose heart moved him to come and work and do it. They took from Moses' presence all the contributions from the Israelites had brought for the task of making the sanctuary. Meanwhile, the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work for the sanctuary came one by one from the work they were doing and said to Moses, The people are bringing more than is needed for the construction of the work the Lord commanded to be done. After Moses gave an order, they sent the proclamation through the camp, Let no man or woman make anything else an offering for the sanctuary. So the people stopped. The material was sufficient for them to do all the work. There was more than enough. I, I want you to capture the heart of this. And you may start, I know what some of you are thinking already, right? Ah, oh, here comes the sermon on giving. Right? I've often heard it said, people that give don't mind sermons on giving. Because they give. Only the people that don't give hate sermons on giving. Because it's convicting. That's why too often when I preach on gluttony, everybody leaves and goes to Furs right after. Isn't it amazing that we are the most wealthy generation in history? The most wealthy, the most lucrative in history. But we seem to do the less with our money than ever before. So let's go back to a time where people hated their lives. These people in the desert didn't enjoy life. It wasn't like every night they sat down and got to get to watch the news at night. By the way, when I was young, I often thought that my parents were old. Because at night they would sit down and watch the news. I remember, do y'all remember this? You'd walk in and leave your parents watching the news and go, why are you watching the news? That's the same thing they said yesterday. You know what I do every night now? I watch the news. I can't tell it's just because I'm old. Or because it's just that much better now. But here's the thing. These people didn't have good news. 
They're in the desert. Their life is terrible. Every day, dirt in the face. Have y'all ever been outside where dirt's flying in the air? Every day, that's them. Every day, they go to bed and go, mm, love the sand. You ever been there? That's them every day. Every day with their kids still there. Every day with their animals still there. Every day with their mother-in-law still there. Miserable! Love you, mother-in-law. Anyways, um, th- this is their life. And now God's saying, hey, by the way, since y'all are out here, I'm going to come hang out with y'all. This movement gave them such a change of what was ordinary. There was a vision for the nearness of God. This vision of the nearness of God drove the people to change their story instantaneously. It made them go, listen, I know that I'm living in the desert. (laughs) I know that my neighbors are living in the desert. But now God's going to come live in the desert? I want to see this. So this vision for the nearness of God drove them to do something amazing. Get rid of them. I mean, you got to know at this point, they're all kind of stocking up for a future day. They, they couldn't just go and expense anything they wanted to. They're in the desert. They could trade amongst themselves, but really at this point, anything that's, that's coming at this point is from God. They've got nothing. It's not like you can just plant out here. Like, they're, they're completely dependent upon a God who loves them. And now he wants to come live on their block. You know, every once in a while you'll see it. A vacant lot in the middle of a neighborhood. You know, it's just that one place that no one's ever bought anything on it. It just kind of sits vacant. You just imagine your neighborhood has that vacant lot, and all of a sudden you see the sold sign on it, and you go to the realtor that walks up, and you say, hey, can you tell me about who bought this? And they said, oh, yeah, it's God. You go, (laughs) what? God's about to move into their neighborhood, and so it changes everything. They get these skilled laborers. They get these people to come in, and skilled leadership work toward the vision that God had given them. And so these skilled laborers begin to do work. And as they're doing work, they're, they're, all they're doing is going right off the blueprints that Moses gave them that God spoke to him about. So they're starting to do the work. And you got to imagine, there's very little resources. So everybody's just bringing what they have. Anything they got in their family, just keep bringing it. Not only these skilled laborers, but people were invited to work according to their gifts. It says so in the scripture. Moses beckoned these two guys, and every skilled person whose heart the Lord had placed wisdom, everyone whose heart moved him. So you can just imagine, here's these two guys at the forefront. They're the foremen. And he said, okay, guys, here's the thing. We're going to be building God's house. And he gave us the blueprint, so let's not mess this up. And so they start the work, and they start to say, hey, did you know that Bob down the street, he's really good with plumbing? They're in the desert. They don't need plumbing. But Bob's great with plumbing. I mean, let's have Bob show up. Bob comes in. Hey, guys, what's up? I'm, I'm the plumber. And then they say, oh, Sally over here is really good with textiles. Hey, Sally, why don't you come? Sally shows up. All the community is working on this. Just imagine the buzz going on. But it's more than just the workers. People that aren't these skilled laborers, they're sitting back going, what can I do? How can I be a part of this? How, how can I change this a little bit? And so they just keep bringing their own stuff. They keep showing up with more and more resources. 
You need gold for this? We've got some gold. Need some wood for that? We've got some stored up. Here, have it. Oh, you need some more of whatever. Hey, I think we got some back home. Let me go get it. And all of a sudden, all these workers are working, and they're surrounded by resources. And finally, at some point, the workers all start to talk. Hey, uh, do you need any more wood in your camp? Because we've got enough. Like, at some point, we've got to cut this off, right? So, do you need any more? No, I've got got more than enough. How about you over there? No, man, I, I cannot take any more. There's people standing in line holding stuff. They got their Walmart bags full of goods. Just waiting. Okay, good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Finally, at some point, they're like, okay, this is getting out of hand. Somebody needs to go talk to Moses. Just imagine Moses in the thick of it. How's it going, guys? Y'all? Yeah, good. All right. Hey, how's it going over here? Yeah, good. Hey, Moses, can we get you? Oh, yeah, what's up? We got too much stuff. Excuse me? Like, literally, we have more resources than we need. Can you just tell the people thank you? You imagine this moment. He has heard nonstop since Egypt how God couldn't do something, how God wasn't good enough, how God wouldn't show up enough, how God wasn't fulfilling enough. And in this moment, God moved his people to a vision of nearness to himself. God was about to move on to their block and the people desired it. They wanted him there. They wanted to see God down the block because that was going to be a change to them. The question of the church as a whole today is this. Do we want God on our block? I mean, do we care if God shows up at all? So the the question really lies in the fact of if you desire to see God move, how are you moving your life to do so? Because the people could have sat back and said, it's somebody else's job. Someone else will do it. Someone else can show up. Someone else can do the work. Someone else can give. Someone else can do all that. I'm just going to watch. That is not what this community did. Some time ago, our church, when it was on 6th Street, was called San Jacinto Baptist Church. If you ask people around town where they grew up going to church, I promise you 90% of our town went there. It seems like everybody I meet went to San Jacinto Baptist. Everybody. I mean, I, I run into them everywhere. You, you start to talk to them, they go, oh, I, I used to go to your church. And you go, oh, when? Oh, when it was on 6th Street. I, I run into people all the time around town when I ask them the question of where they go to church. There came a time where our church got landlocked. We needed a bigger sanctuary. At that time, in our, our small sanctuary, we were having multiple services. The leadership at the time desired that we all be together, and that was hard. And so they did some things. Started buying up some land for parking. Started realizing that the people's houses around the church started raising up the prices of their house absorbently because they knew the church was wanting to buy it. And so a few of them they indulged and bought for parking and things like that. In fact, if you drive into the San Jacinto neighborhood today and you look at San Jacinto Elementary that's right behind the San Jacinto Christian Academy, that parking lot in school was ours at one time. It was a parking lot because we needed it. So many people were coming, there was a need to see God do something big. 
A while back, Gene Jeter and I started looking through the blueprints of the church. As we were looking through the blueprints, we came along with a blueprint we had never seen before. It was the possibility of the church building a new sanctuary on that property on 6th Street. We'd have had to have bought out pretty much two blocks worth of property to do it. And it got costly. They drew up the plans even. You, you can see the plans of the non-existing building we were going to build. It looked somewhat similar to this, but not completely. It would have been great and beautiful right there on 6th Street. They prayed through that, and they just didn't feel like that was the answer. So they began to look, God, how can you move at our church in a way that's powerful, in a way that moves people, in a way that connects people to you? And so they began to look at properties all around town, and they went outside of really in the middle of nowhere. There was nothing. And they found a piece of land, and, and they sent their deacons and staff to come walk and pray around it. So our deacons would drive up and get out of their vehicles and walk a grass field. And they prayed and asked God that he would move in the hearts of the people. They'd inspire that God would move the cellar. And eventually God lined everything up on behalf of San Jacinto Baptist Church. And we bought the land we're sitting on today. God was good to our church. Again, at the time, there was nothing out here. It was plains next to a canyon. Slowly, after the church began to build, they built this building. Kind of functioned everything within the confines. They built another wing. One story, by the way. And then a second story. And then another wing. God was good to our church. One time in our history, we decided that there were some elements at play in the name of Baptist. And I want you to hear it from me why we are the church at Quell Creek. It has nothing to do with Baptists. It had everything to do with, at the time, there was a church going around called Westboro who decided that it would be in their best interest to go to the funerals of soldiers and people and spew hatred in the name of Jesus. Our staff at the time didn't like that. We wanted to become a church that people could come and hear the name of Jesus. And so we made a name change. We didn't lose our vision statement. We didn't lose our theology. We just changed the name. And God kept blessing our church. God has been good to this church. You know, I think about that in terms of what do we expect when we show up here? I take it very seriously that every Sunday I stand up here up in front of you guys. I stand on the shoulders of great men. Men that had great vision for a place like the church at Quell Creek. Great men that I know personally. Great men that I will see when I get to heaven. I got to tell you, God still wants his presence amongst us. But at some point, we have got to get hungry for that presence. We've got to become desperate for it. We've got to burn the ships that we came in on and say, I desire to follow God with everything I have. And if in the struggle to pursue Him with everything I have, I die, we still win. We're in the very presence of God. 
You know, when I walk into this sanctuary, I can remember the first time I came here. It was for a marriage event. I had brought my church from Farwell here, April and I, and our crew stayed at a hotel right next to the hospitals because we had never been to Amarillo, and we didn't know what the hotels looked like. They were cheap. We stayed there, and I think the guys before us did some funky stuff in those rooms because they were nasty and stinky. But we showed up. We had a good time with our group, and we walked in the sanctuary. And it was a marriage event. It was packed. I remember walking in and just walking in the sanctuary going, this place is beautiful. Just stunned by it, moved by it. I had walked out into the foyer to check out the bookstore for the marriage event, and I ran into a guy named Michael Pinkston. And Michael walked up and he goes, who are you? <laughs> just like that. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know who you are, but I don't do this. Um, I said, man, I'm Kyle Clayton. I'm the senior pastor at the church at Quell Creek uh, in Farwell. Wasn't the pastor here at the time. That's who I'm today. Anyways, first I was Farwell, and he said, that's awesome. I'd like to get to know you. I said, okay. I don't know who this guy is. At the time, I didn't even know he was on staff here. Just thought he's a crazy person walking around and calling people cupcakes. <laughs> so I, I was like, all right. So we exchanged information and went back to Farwell, and I get a call that next week, and the call goes something like this. Is this Kyle? I said, yep. He goes, what are you doing next week? I said, uh, I, ministry? I, he goes, why don't you come to Emerald and hang out with me? I've got a question to ask you. And I thought, oh, man, he's going to sell me something. Hey, I know this guy's like, it's, he's about to pyramid scheme me in or something like that. I, I didn't know. What was going to happen next? And so I thought, oh, well, here we go. And next couple of days, he started sending me emails of what God was doing at the church. And at the time, we were looking for a student pastor here. And he, he called me back two days before I was supposed to come to Amarillo, and he said, uh, I want you to know something. Our senior pastor is an evangelist. He goes all over the nation and the world sharing Jesus Christ. He said, we're super proud of him. And the times that he's gone, he's looking for a youth pastor that can be trusted in the pulpit and will love the people. Would you have any interest? I can honestly tell you at the time, we didn't have a whole lot of interest. We, we loved where we were. We loved being with our people. So I showed up and, and he gave me directions to the coffee's house. And I pulled up and I, I didn't know what I was even coming into, really. I, I didn't know what car Michael drove. I walked up and I knocked on the door. Stan Coffey came out and he had a bum leg. Those of y'all that remember, he had fallen off the porch in his backyard and hurt his leg. And uh, so I was thinking, um, hey. <laughs> I mean, I'd seen his picture online because obviously I creeped to the church. But I, I was like, hello, Dr. Coffey. He said, you must be Kyle. Come on in. A few minutes later, Michael came in, and it's like somebody wound him up from the back and set him loose in the house. Michael came in. He goes, let's go to the back porch. And we sat down, and, and I got to hear the vision for the church. Things like this. And this is from Dr. Coffee. I'll never forget it. Kyle, I believe that God is still trying to build a church that reaches people who don't go to church. 
He said, there's so many churches that reach people that go to church. We want Quail Creek to be a place where people who don't go to church go to. He said, we need help. We need somebody to come alongside us and and help us move towards that. I remember just visiting with those guys and then driving back home and just being on fire. Thinking in my mind, how unreal that must be to be a part of a vision so big. And a vision that mattered so much. And I remember thinking in my head, how do I wrap my mind around this to go from being a pastor to church back to being a student pastor? What's more is I heard a story of the former student pastor and the separation that had happened and the the hurt of our students and parents. I thought, Lord, what if I go, I'm getting into a mess. Lord, I don't don't know. And I remember April and I prayed. We prayed for y'all without even knowing y'all. And God led our hearts to Quell Creek. Nine years ago, a group from Faith City showed up in Farwell, Texas with borrowed vehicles and loaded our house up and moved us to an apartment on Bell Street. We got into the apartment, we sat down and we went, what are we doing? Started hanging out with students. That next week, I took the students to the Youth Evangelism Conference in Dallas. We got to hang out for our first time getting to know each other in Dallas. In fact, the van that we uh, had rented to take didn't, wasn't there. Our, our reservation didn't go through. We had no way to get there, so I had to call Farwell and ask if I could borrow their bus. I drove my current youth ministry in a bus from our last church. They really liked us. I don't know why they allowed us to do that. We showed up and had an amazing time, and that vision still isn't gone. David Walker stood on this stage when the church was first built, and he talked that God's presence would fill this place like the wings of the cherubim above the Holy of Holies. He said, we should hunger and desire that God would move in such a way that from the very moment his presence fell and filled that first temple, we should pray that his presence falls on us every Sunday the same way. Then he said some words that I hope you hear today. But you've got to want it to have it. You've got to desire it and make it your goal to have it. Or it will go. He said, God desires to move into the people's lives that are open books and ready for him to move in such a way that he would destroy any work of Satan in his way to touch his people. The question that I have today is this, are we hungry enough for God to move in our church again? I'm not just talking about a touch from God. I'm not even talking a touch of an angel like a TV show. I'm... I'm, Asking, do we want the Holy Spirit to move in such a way in our church that it is powerful to walk in the doors of the sanctuary? That literally that when you leave this place, you desire so badly to come back because, man, you want to be around others and worship a God that's alive. You see, it's going to require something of us. We can't just sit back and hope that God shows. The people proved it here. They gave everything they had to see God move into their neighborhood. They did it so much that at some point they had to say, stop. Y'all are good. Let me just tell you the state of the union real quick for you. 
Right now we need volunteers like never before. Right now we need attenders like never before. Right now we need givers like never before. Those are three things that I would say happen just in droves when God's people desire for him to move desperately. Those three things should never be said of churches where they want God to move desperately. Everything that we do shows God. We desire him desperately. We desire him. To finish my story of my trip to India, at the end of the two weeks of us being there, it came time for us to go home. We began to put our suitcases together. I I'd brought back way too much stuff from India for my family and my church at the time, and, and I zipped all my bags up. We went through customs. We, we get on the airplane. We fly into Germany and from Germany to Chicago. When we land in Chicago, it's the first time that all the signs were in English and that there was a burger being served. Praise Jesus. <laughs> so we naturally did what all we know to do. You know, flying from India Air into Chicago, we all smelled like Indian food. It's just natural. You're hot and sweaty. You smell like it. You smell like curry. Um, and so we land in Chicago. We instantly run to Chili's and grab a burger. We're all sitting there just, mm, <laughs> thank you, Lord. But can I tell you where my heart is? I'm not a burger fan. I wanted to be home. You see, I wanted to see my family. I talked to them on, on the screen, on the computer, but I, I wanted to touch my family. I wanted to see them. So a burger at that point was just a, a mild side note to my family. I, I wanted to see them, and so we fly into Dallas, and we land, and we get in the car, and we, we drive as fast as we can into Oklahoma where my wife was with my mom, and, and, and we get out, and there's my family, and my kids were little, little. And I see my wife, and I hug her up, and she had to have smelled India on me. She had to have been like, ooh, buddy, you need to take a shower. <laughs> Hugged my kids, hugged my mom. It was the first time in two weeks that my heart went, finally. As your pastor, I want you to know, all the great things that we've experienced over the last several years have been burgers. We're still waiting for our family. We've seen God do some incredible things, powerful things. But that's not it. It's not over. God's waiting for his people to show up and say, we are desperate to see God move amongst us. We are desperate to have him speak over us. And it will give everything that we have for that pursuit because we want to see him move. Some of y'all have prayed for years that we would fill the whole sanctuary up again. That's a small prayer. My prayer is this, that God would move in such a passionate way that this building wouldn't be enough. Because I believe that's why those men and women walked this, this grass field long before we got here. Is that one day this plot of land that God has given us would not be enough. That one day we would not be okay with just numbers. We would be great with God's presence. That we would be so desiring that God would move in such a powerful, tangible way that our eyes would be focused on him with everything that we have. 
but do we care if God shows up or not? The question we have every Sunday is this. Do we care if God comes to church with us? Or are we okay with just our friends coming? You see, there's a cross on the top of this church for a reason. It's to declare that God's presence can be here. If not, let's take it off and put an M and let's serve burgers. Desperately, the people came, gave of their gifts, gave of their time, gave of their energy, gave of their increase, because they believed what could happen when they give everything is that God's presence would show up. And I think we need to be desperate for it. The people funded the vision, not just with their money. If you want a giving sermon, here it is. If you're not giving, don't expect children's ministry to happen. If you're not giving, don't expect your students to be taken care of. If you're not giving, don't expect for it to be warm on cold days or cool on hot days. If you're not giving, don't expect the toilets to flush. If you're not giving, don't expect missionaries to be sent. Don't expect people to go. Don't expect anything in return. If you don't give, make your expectation nothing. If you do give, Let's do it together, and let's see what God can do. Because there are so many visions our staff has that we can't do right now. And I want you all to know that. There are so many visions written on boards and in journals and in hearts that cannot be accomplished because it is so less funded. Let's do something about it. Let's do something amazing. Let's give of ourselves for a vision, and let's not hold anything back. Let's go. Let's do something big and let's see what God can do when people give of themselves completely. Hold nothing back. Psalms 46 1 says this God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple in the depths of the seas, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake in its turmoil. We will not fear. What can God do with a church that shows up? Anything he wants. Let's be that church. God, we pray, Lord, that you would move us in a way like you did the people in the desert. God, that your presence would fall and God, that we'd experience you deeply. Lord, may you move our lives to give you everything we've got. May we be desperate for your presence. May we not just sit back and hope some other church catches fire. Set this place on fire, God. Lord, set us on fire for your presence. Move us in a mighty and powerful way. May we be changed by you, God. May we be led by you, God. May you consume us with your presence and may we never be the same. God, would you move in that way today? God, would you speak over your people in a powerful way today? God, would you move us to be completely sacrificial unto you with our very lives, our very breath, God? May we give you everything we have, God, because that is exactly what you've given to us. May we surrender our everything to you. And Lord, may your presence fall in a powerful way over your people. Lord, use us up. May we hold nothing back. May we take your example today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.